Thank you. I tell you, I am technically challenged, so what my IT colleagues have done for my iPad or my phone, which I run with it, um, is it get a shuffle, lots of music from different places and different names, and I'm in the middle of running on the treadmill, and that voice that I would recognize anywhere comes singing this song. It made me run an extra mile. I keep praising God in Jesus' name. So I immediately text Mac. I said, is this your song? He said, yes. And unfortunately, it's my favorite, but it's never made it to number one. I said, it's made number one with me. <laughs> Thank you. It's not that it's number one in heaven, too. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you make the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ordered by you and therefore will be acceptable by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are some here and on the sound of my voice who remember a day when a person's name was far more important and valuable than money and prestige. Now, for those of you who have not seen those days, have not experienced those days, let me tell you there was a day when a person's name was of more value than all the gold and the silver in the world. There was a day when a person's name meant everything to them. Like many of you, I grew up thinking that way. Growing up in a Christian home in a sea of a non-Christian world, our name and our family name meant everything because it literally represented Christ Himself. But even today, there are certain names, as soon as they are mentioned, you automatically, it communicates integrity or dishonesty. Um, when you hear a name of a person to this day, you still either communicating honor or dishonor. Um, when a name is mentioned, you immediately, it communicates the character of that person. Let me give you some examples. When you hear the name Richard Nixon, what do you think? Tricky Dicky, right? <laughs> right? Uh, those of you not old enough, that was, that was the name. Uh, when you think of Bill Clinton, what do you think? Slick Willie, right? <laughs> when you hear the name Ronald Reagan, you think of courage, integrity, and conviction. Why is that? Why is that? Because often a person's name becomes who that person is and become known as who he is. The question are often asked by many people, what is in a name? Now, the truth is, everything is in a name. Uh, I read a story about a young couple who were expecting their first child, the first child. <laughs> and um, you know, those of you young moms and dads know what I'm talking about. We've seen it with our kids, and they're struggling what to call the first child, what they're going to call him. And, and finally, Mama said, uh, we'll call him Timothy. And Dad said, over my dead body. Well, she couldn't understand the vehemence by which he's resisting that name. The bottom line was that when he was a boy in school, uh, there was a bully in the playground. His name was Timmy. 
And he could not even imagine. He could not think of his precious little boy is going to be referred to as Timmy. But why? Because the name represents, the, the, for, for him, the wor- represented the worst of memories growing up as a young boy. In biblical times, they named children for what they want them or hope that they'll grow up to be. That's always you see that in the Scripture. Well, he named him this because of that, and he named him this and so forth. These are important. These names are important. But listen to me. Not only the names are important, the adjectives that we use with our children are vitally important. They really are. Listen to me. Uh, uh, Whether you use those adjectives in front of them or not in front of them, it's very important what adjectives you use to describe your children. Let me illustrate this. A first grader and a first grade teacher who was often, you know, starts the school year asking the kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Always, you know, that's always a standard with her. And she always gets the normal, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff. I want to be president. I'll be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman and so on. And it just, except for little Billy. Billy said, when I grow up, I want to be possible. And the teacher queried it, asked again. She said, possible? He said, yes, because my mom thinks I'm impossible. (laughs) So when I grow up, I want to be possible. We often label our children, so be careful. Sometimes we don't realize it, but be careful. Now, my friends, I want to tell you, if names are important for mortals like us, Human beings, if names are important to us, I want you to think of the absolutely, vitally importance in the names when it comes to God. And that is why you find that in the Word of God, as we will see in a minute, names represent a person, represents that person's mission, that person's future. Uh, and that is why when God changes the mission or the future, the, 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 the future mission of a person, He changes their name. That is why God renamed Abraham to Abraham. He changed Jacob to Israel. We see the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He changed Simon to Peter, and He changed Saul to Paul. Because every time there was a name change, it represented a new vision and a new mission for that person. Every time there is a change in name, it signifies a new calling for that person. Now, hopefully by now, some of you are asking the question, Michael, what has this got to do with the praise-filled life that you've been preaching about and we're continuing in this series? Everything. Everything. Why? Because the names of God are the composite of God's self-revelation. Because the names of God reveals to us His nature, His identity, His uh, sovereignty, uh, and yes, His will and purpose for us. If you truly want to know God, then you must know His names. Can I get an amen? amen? Please hear me right. The reason God reveals His names to us in the Scriptures 
and there are a number of them. It is because He longs in His heart for us to be intimate with Him. The reason God reveals His names to us is an evidence of the fact that He wants us to praise Him more fully and more completely. The reason why God reveals His name to us is an evidence that He wants us to freely enter into a deep, not shallow, which we see all around us, but into a deep and abiding relationship with Him. If you ask the average person, what is the sacrifice of praise, they'll probably give you all sorts of answers. (laughs) Some will not even know how to answer that. But listen to what Hebrews 13, 15 said. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continuously… How often? Only on Sundays? Let us what? Offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, as we confess His name. Question, what is that sacrifice of praise? Well, I told you in the last message, those of you remember that far back, (laughs) uh, that David, in praising the name of God, he literally is a king. He's the king of the most powerful nation at that time. But he humiliated himself before God in the praise of God. He couldn't care less what people thought of him. He honored God in front of everybody, and he forgot that he is even a king. Why? Because he wanted to honor God in praise. And here in Hebrews 13 gives us the answer. A sacrifice of praise is the confession of the names of the Lord. The sacrifice of praise is the speaking of the name of the Lord in our personal lives. The sacrifice of praise is the invoking of the power of the triune God in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the last several messages that we've been looking at in this series, Experiencing Triumph Through Praise… I have been telling you about the importance of the praise-filled life. Today, I want us to practice that. And we're going to do… This is a very practical service, a very practical sermon. We're going to practice it. And then, I don't want you to stop here on Sunday. I want you to take this exercise and do it every day. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, some of you will, but uh, I hope all of you do. Okay, because praising God is not something you just do on Sunday morning. And those of you who are taking notes, I want to give you a heads up. Start writing now because I've got nine. Is that? Oh, yeah, I'm a flunk math, but that's nine. Nine names of God. I want to go through them very quickly so I don't want you to miss. And then I'm going to come to the end and show you. But we're going to be praising those nine names for now anyway. <laughs> and I will, I'm going to get you to do them in the Hebrew language, not in English, all right? Not the Anglo-sized stuff that comes from the Latin. We're going to do it in the original language. Okay. And if you think I'm speaking in tongues, that's fine. I like to see the Presbyterian squirm. <laughs> the first name and the most used name in the Scripture of God is Yahweh. Say it with me. Yahweh means the God who's always there. Yahweh means 
the name of God, and it's used more in the Bible than any other name. In fact, it's used 6,800 times in both Old and New Testament. And the translation literally, Yahweh, means to be, or the ever-living God, or the self-existing God. All that means that God does not need anything outside of Himself. He does not need anyone outside of Himself for His self-existence. And that is why I want you to yell with me, praise Yahweh. Praise God bless you. The second name that revealed to us in the Scripture is Yahweh Yara. Can you say that? Now you officially speak in tongues. In English, we often say Jehovah Jireh. And then the song, the kids often sing here, and they have to go and explain it, you know, my provider. <laughs> because I'm going to explain to you it's more than just a provider. The word means a lot more than just being my provider. I just want to give you the background so you know why it came from, okay? In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, in obedience to God, takes Isaac in order to offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. But don't miss what I'm going to tell you, because a lot of people switch off at this point. In verse 5 of Genesis 22, verse 5, here's what Abraham said to the servants. And again, if you're taking notes, write it down. He said, you stay here at the bottom of the mountain, while the lad, talking about Isaac, the lad and I are going up to the mountain to offer a sacrifice. Then, here's what comes, is coming. Are you ready for it? Then we, the two of us, are coming back. Now, if you got that, say amen. amen. It's not I'm going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and I'm coming down and you'll be waiting for me. No, 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 no. We, the boy and I, are coming back. Why? Because Abraham was so absolutely confident in God's promise to him. Abraham was so fully trusting in the promise of God to him. Abraham was totally and completely resting upon the fact that God always, always, always keeps his promises. He was uh, abundantly confident that if he sacrificed Isaac, God is going to raise him from the dead and is going to come back with him. And so he gets up to the top of Mount Moriah, and he gets ready. And Isaac asks a question, Father, where is the sacrifice? And here the Holy Spirit of God gives Abraham a word of prophecy, one of the most powerful words of prophecy ever since Genesis 3.15. And Abraham prophesies with clarity about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and offering Himself as a sacrifice on Mount Calvary 2,000 years later. And so, when Isaac asked the question, Abraham said, Son, God will provide Himself. Now, there's some people, I don't want to describe them. You figure them out. We translate this as, God himself will offer a sacrifice. No, that's not how it reads in the original. God will offer himself as a sacrifice. He's prophesying of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a magnificent picture 
of the Son of God being offered as a sacrifice for all the sinners who will repent and turn to Him, that on Mount Calvary 2,000 years later, God's Son is going to hang on the cross and offer Himself as a sacrifice. And as Abraham gets ready with his knife, he hears the voice of the Lord say, Don't you dare. It's a Yusuf translation, but you get what I mean. Don't touch the boy. He said, Now, Abraham, I know that you completely and fully trust in my promises. I promised you, Isaac. You waited for him for 25 years. Now you got him. (laughs) And as Abraham looks over in the thicket, and there is a ram, and he offered him as a sacrifice. Right on that spot, Abraham builds an altar and calls it Yahweh Yara. Yahweh Yara. The word Yara, literally, literally, and it's, by the way, it's the same word in all three Semitic languages, uh, Aramaic, Arabic, and Hebrew. Yara is, is, is the, the one who sees ahead, not just the one who sees. Everybody can see, <laughs> but it's the one who sees ahead. If somebody up high up there, he can see things you can't see. Beloved, I want you to listen to me. I'm, I'm ready to meddle right now, okay? I'm going to ask you, what, when was the last time did you thank God for going ahead of you and rescuing you even when you did not know it? Because He sees your needs before you do. Because He sees your needs before the needs arises. Because He sees the problem before it appears. Because He provides a solution to your impossibility before you discover them. Because He sees your difficulties and He helps you overcome them. Because He sees your temptations and He gives you victory over them before you face them. He is Yahweh Yara. He sees ahead and prepares ahead, even when you can't see it. Now, there's nothing that you are facing today. Listen to me. Whether you're watching around the world or here in this beautiful sanctuary, there is nothing that you are facing today or you're going to face in the future that God has not already foreseen and made plans for. Yahweh is our provider today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. And so I want you to yell with me, praise Yahweh Yara. Amen. And amen. And amen. I can get overwhelmed because I know experientially, and many of you do too, amazing how He goes ahead and makes provision before we even realize what was happening. Now I come to the third name that God reveals to us about Himself, and that's Yahweh Rapha. And you find that in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Here God is making a proposal. He literally making a proposal, offering a proposal to His people. Here's what He said to them. If you carefully listen, by the way, it doesn't mean just there's a difference in Hebrew between listening and hearing, okay? I can hear you if you're speaking to me in a Semitic language, but I'm not necessarily listening to you. See, in, in, in Hebrew, listening meaning obeying. <laughs> I'll make it easier for you. It means obeying. Are you listening to me, Bobby, right? 
Are you, you ask your kids, are you listening to me? Well, they are hearing you, but they're not listening to you. <laughs> and so God is saying, if you listen, that is, if you obey me, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that are brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Now, the word Rapha means to heal, to cure, or to restore more accurate. And beloved, God doesn't only heal and restores. Healing is His name. Can I get an amen? Amen. Healing is His name. His name is synonymous with wholeness. His name is synonymous with power for our weakness. His name is synonymous with being a balm on our wounds. His name is synonymous with healthy self-image. His name is synonymous with mending broken hearts. His name is synonymous with the renewal of our degenerate minds. His name is synonymous with restoring shattered relationships. And the greatest wholeness, of course, we're going to experience when we see Him face to face because the Bible said we're going to be like Him. And imagine that day. We're going to be like Jesus. And that is why we praise and we worship, adore Yahweh Rafi. We praise who? Yahweh And the fourth name God reveals to us about Himself is Yahweh Nissi. God is my banner. Sounds strange, doesn't it? God, God is my flag. <laughs> Just basically, you know, if you're marching down behind your school flag or college flag, whatever it is, a banner, that's his, he's a banner. We're, we're marching under his banner. It's a wonderful name. Exodus 17, when the Amalekites, by the way, the word Amalekites itself means giants. These were big boys. I don't know, nine feet tall. They were big, 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 big people. They don't exist anymore, thank God. He said, I'm going to wipe them out, and he did. <laughs> when they were, before they got into the promised land, when they got to the wilderness, the Amalekites said, we're going to wipe the Israelites. We're going to just wipe them out. We just think about this. Not the prophets, nor the Messiah, who was in the loins, and some of them would have been wiped out. And so at this point, Moses said to Joshua, he said, Joshua, I want you to take a group of fighting men. Now, remember, these are not really a huge army. It's just a group of fighting men. And he said, Joshua being the second in command, is the successor of, uh, of Moses. He said, I want you to take a group of fighting men, go down to the battlefield, and you fight those Amalekites. And imagine the knees that were knocking. <laughs> We're going where? We're going where? Those guys, do you know, did you, have you seen how tall they are? Did you see how big they are? And they said, yeah, you go down and you fight them, but I want to give you the assurance that I am going to go up to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to hold my staff. Beloved, this was not just any old staff. I'm not talking about this one, but the one that Moses had. That was the staff that God used to perform many miracles. It was a staff that was a symbol of prayer life. 
This was the staff was a symbol of intercession. This was the staff that was a symbol of Moses' special relationship with the Lord. This staff was a symbol of Moses' utter dependence on Yahweh. This staff was a symbol of Moses' complete trust in the power and the might and the graciousness of Yahweh. And so Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. He lifts up the staff. In fact, he gets very tired, and his arms get shaky. Two people had to come and hold his arms. And the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. So in the aftermath of this great supernatural, supernatural victory, this ragtag of an army could not have beaten those big boys. This is supernatural victory. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. I don't want you to forget this happened, but also I don't want you to forget what I'm going to tell you, and that is I am going to wipe them off from the face of the earth. And God did. And here Moses builds an altar to the Lord, and he calls it Yahweh Nessie, banner, flag. He is my banner. Can you say Yahweh Nessie? The Lord is my flag. He's my banner. Now, beloved, hear me right, please. When you're fighting under Yahweh's flag, let me tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, you are assured of victory. Listen, you and I know from practical everyday life, we know that we honor and respect the American flag. And the reason we honor and respect the flag is because for those who have fought for that flag and, and, and died in protecting that flag, because of the freedom that we have, we owe to those who gave their life to, def- to defend the flag, the very prosperity we enjoy. And we might not have it for much longer, but at least we've got it now. The very prosperity we have is because people fought and died for that flag. In the same way, when we praise Yahweh Nessie, we are waving. We are waving His flag. We are saying to the enemy of our soul, take this, Satan. <laughs> we are waving, and we are marching under Yahweh's flag. I am under Yahweh's magnificent oversight. I am under Yahweh's control. And because Yahweh is Nessie and is my Nessie, Satan You need to know that my victory is assured. Satan, you need to know that you cannot destroy me and you cannot destroy God's purpose in my life until He says so. You haven't heard me say this. When people are worried about me going here or traveling or whatever, then they come and say, are you sure you're doing this? I say, listen, I am indestructible until God says so. Until He calls me home, I am indestructible. And so are you. So are you. Beloved, we need to fly the Lord's flag. We need to fly it in our lives. We need to fly it over our souls. We need to fly it over our families. We need to fly it over our homes. And we need to fly it over our marriages. We need to fly it over our church. 
And that is the secret of victory. I don't know, only you do, what giants are you facing in your life? I don't know what giants are you facing right now. I don't know. I don't know, but you do. I don't know whom you think ought to destroy you. I don't know who's trying to destroy your marriage or who's trying to destroy your family or who's trying to destroy your business. I don't know, but you do. I don't know who or what is terrifying you and causing you to live in fear and in terror and anxiety and worry. I don't know what past experience that is haunting you and that's pulling you back. Every time you want to go forward, that past experience pulls you back. But whatever giant you are facing today, you can yell praise Yawanesi. Okay. Praise who? Come on now. Praise who? He is bigger than any giant in your life. He is greater than any problem. He is mightier than any obstacle. He is higher than any mountain that you're facing. Say it with me. Praise. And the fifth one is Yahweh Makadish. That's the Hebrew word which means to be set apart. Be set apart. Um, dedicated for a cause, set aside. Makarish is used of people when they're set, being set aside for a task, or sometimes actually used for utensils in the temple. When they put these utensils for holy use, for God's use, in the temple, they're not allowed to be used for anything else. That, that word is, is used, makarish. This utensils are makarish. This people are makarish. And it's translated, yes, in English, holy. Holy. I am told there are so many pastors and Bible teachers who do not want to use the word holy. They do not want to use the word holiness because they say it actually uh, causes an unreasonable restriction over their behavior. How far we've come. How far we've come. Think about this. The word that means to be cleansed and set apart is now an offense. The Bible said, without holiness, no one can see God. Say that with me. Without holiness, no one can see God. What does it mean? It means to be separated from sin. It means to be set aside or dedicated. Listen to me. When we say God is holy, it means that He's totally separated from sin, that He is totally… Uh, set aside from all impurities. It means, as he said and described himself in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7, I am Yahweh Makadish. This is the way God describes himself. You can't improve on that. God's holiness also means that he's free to act in ways that we really may not make sense to us, but make perfect sense to him. And he goes to God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening, God? I got this. Not me. <laughs> God is saying that. I got it. It's under my control. Don't panic. Listen to me. When we try to put God in a box, I want you to remember that it is Yahweh Makadesh. Say it with me. Yahweh Makadesh. He is totally free to act graciously, when we expect judgment. 
He is free to manifest Himself differently from what we expected. But also God sets Himself apart for His church. This is the one thing that tears me up. I'm telling you, and I'm going to explain to you what I mean by this. Literally, the Bible said that Jesus set aside, and those of you reading the daily Bible this morning, Bible reading was John 17, the, the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying not just for the disciples, but for those who are going to come and believe through their message. You see, God set Himself apart for the believers. He set Himself apart for their holiness. He set Himself apart for their encouragement. He set Himself apart uh, for their empowerment. He set Himself apart for us to be the totality of His focus. Think about that. Think about that. When you begin to comprehend that, I, I, I was saying to you, it was just when you, when you really get it, I pray to God that everyone will get it. I pray that everyone will get it. <laughs> if you are His child, the brother or sister of Jesus, God is set apart for you to be the totality of His focus. And when that happens, when you get it, I'll pray to God you get it before tomorrow morning, okay? <laughs> when you get it, you want to be set apart totally for Him. You can't help it. And so, we praise who? It's right here. God bless you. Six, Yahweh Shalom. Here's our peace. Here's our peace. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 24, Gideon builds an altar to the Lord, and he called it Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. Say it with me. Why? Because at that time, God's people had no peace. They had no peace of mind. They had no peace physically. They had no peace at all. I want you to remember this. When Satan comes, especially in the days we're living in right now, and try to steal your peace, I want you to remember that, okay? Whatever you're going through right now, remember Jehovah is what? Here you go. You actually corrected me. <laughs> Yahweh. Back then, the Israelites are being harassed by their enemies. I mean, they could not get a decent night's sleep. They were harassed and harassed day after day, and they come in as soon as the crops are ready to be harvested. They light a fire, and they burn them, and they become impoverished, and they, they, were becoming, they got in such a miserable situation. They were on the verge of death. And one day, listen to me, one day they faced up to the source of the lack of peace. This is the problem. We never go to the source. We always focus on the symptoms. We stay with the symptoms. But you need to go to the source. Find out what is causing that lack of peace. And they faced up to it. They faced up to the fact that the reason for the lack of peace is they're disobedient to Yahweh. And so they cried to the Lord. And the Lord sends an angel to a man, a very ordinary man, in fact, beyond ordinary. The name is Gideon. As a matter of fact, when the angels appeared to him, he said, Oh, you mighty man of God. And Gideon turned to be a, a, an Italian. And he said, You talking to me? Are you talking to me? I'm the man of courage. 
You came to the wrong guy. This is the wrong address. You need to go somewhere else. No, it was you. It was you. Because you plus God equal mighty power. Don't you ever forget that. And so the Lord gives them victory. And they named the place Yahweh Shalom. I want to tell you something you can take to the bank. Not literally, but you know what I mean. If you do not experiencing genuine, deep, abiding peace, it's two reasons. Either you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and never experienced His presence in your life, or the, the vast majority of people who are listening to me right now are come under the second category, is that they're living in blatant disobedience to the Word of God. In either case, God can change it today. He can change it today. Yahweh Shalom. Praise Yahweh Roy. Actually, it's more than just the Lord is my shepherd. It really is. The Hebrew word is so tender. I wish I could explain it. It's so tender. And we don't see sheep. We don't see shepherds. And we don't even relate to that to begin with. But, but the word is really mean more than just the Lord is my shepherd. Roy means that His grace is perfect for me, <laughs> that His peace endures in my life, that His leading of me is most thoughtful, that His comfort to me is superior than all others, that His companionship and is, is eternal and forever, that His assurance banishes all my fears, that His provision makes my enemy flee, that His anointing is my abundance, and that His goodness and mercy is overflowing. Can I get an amen? Amen. Praise Yahweh Roy. Say it with me. Pray. Okay, I come to the eighth one, and it's found in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Yahweh Tasdiknu. I know it's hard to get your tongue around it. Don't worry about it. Yahweh Tasdiknu. The Lord our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, 5. Jeremiah prophesied of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah probably gave us more detailed prophecy about the coming of Christ hundreds of years before he was born. We saw Abraham gave us a prophecy 2,000 years before he was born. In fact, Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw my day. But here's what he said. Let me read the Scripture to you. This is the name by which he will be called. This is a future prophecy, that he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Remember, during the time of the prophecy, this prophecy came as a a nice glass of cold water to a thirsty and parched people. Because during that time of Jeremiah, there were many prophets who are false prophets, they were prophesying falsely. That sounds familiar. So many of the priests were just busy feathering their own nests. They're feathering their own nests. Those who preach prosperity gospel, they're the ones who are prospering, not the congregation. Violence was rampant. Bloodshed. 
I, I could never understand, and I don't get into politics, as you know, but I will speak the truth. I could never understand anybody can vote for anyone who is pro-abortion. When God said, bloodshed is abhorrent to me. I know you know this. And it's not because I nearly was aborted that this is significant to me. It's significant to me because God said, I abhor bloodshed. And a person who doesn't have his or her compass right on life, they got it messed up everywhere else. The spiritual leaders in the time of Jeremiah were confused. They were uncertain. And here comes the word from the Lord. The day is coming. The day is coming. And I'm sending my Messiah who will be called my righteousness. And you know, not long ago when I was preaching from the Sermon on the Mount, I told you we have no righteousness if we live two million lifetimes, if we do a lot of good work that lasts a million years. We have no righteousness. We have no right standing with God the Father. Only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ are we righteous before God. In fact, the word literally means, testicno means an upright or straight, straight or an arrow sometimes referred to. No wonder the Apostle Paul could say, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he said, Christ is our righteousness. We have no righteousness without Jesus. Praise Yahweh Tazdiknu. Say it with me. Praise. Finally, finally, for now anyway, ninth name is Yahweh Shama. Actually, literally can be the God who hears me. But the one who hears me is because he's there all the time. So it can be the God who's always there or God who always hears me. Beloved, listen to me. He is there for you every moment of every day. He never puts you on hold to take another call. He never turns you down. He never ignores you. He never says, oh, no, not you again. In fact, the Bible said he rejoices over us with singing. He's delighted when you come to him. He loves it when you genuinely want to fellowship with him. He loves it when you want to be in intimacy with him. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you. How often? Always. How many times? Praise with me. Yahweh Shema. I'm almost at the end, but I want to give a word of testimony. I have never begun to praise the names of God without being engulfed in the presence of God. Not one time. I don't know I'm giving away family secrets, but I was up at 4 o'clock and, and in another room, of course, praying, and I was praying loud. My, my wife jumped out of bed and said, are you okay? I said, yeah, just praising God. 
Listen, the more I know God, the more I want to praise Him. And the more I see Him working in my life, the more I see His power and sovereignty surrounding me. Now, what I want you to do as we come to the end, I want you to go through the list with me. All nine of them. Guys, can you put them on the screen? All the nine names. Can we? Well, you can flash them one at a time if you want, or if you, can, if you don't have them all together. Hello? Anybody <laughs> listening? Can we have all the nine? Or if we don't, let them have them one at a time, okay? Can you flash them one at a time? No? Can't do that technically? I thought I was technically challenged. <laughs> okay. I know you can do that. So let's do it. Praise Praise, 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 praise. Now I want you to go home and do that every single day. Every day. It will transform your life. It will transform your family life. I know Zach has been going with this in, summer school, in the vacation Bible school, but also they're going through those names now. So practice them with your family. Father, I'm so overwhelmed I can't even begin to pray now, but I will come to you on behalf of my precious friends right here and those who are watching around the world. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, teach us in these tough, hard days. Teach us to praise your names. That is the secret of our power. That's the secret of victory. Lord, I pray that we would develop intimacy with you, that regardless of what happens all around us, we know that we have power where power really belongs. You, Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, team.